Good morning. Hey, I hope you're doing well this morning. We're glad to have you. If you're a guest with us, my name's Rob. I'm one of the ministers here at New Hope, and I get to teach, and I'm honored to do that as we continue in a series that we're currently in. Uh, I want to welcome you here, and uh, we've got a gift for you right out the back doors we'd love for you to grab on your way out. It's just a gift to say thank you for being here and taking time to join us. In addition to that, there is a white card for everyone here in the room. There's a white card in the seat in front of you. If you would grab that card, and if you'd fill that out for me, uh, one per family, if you will, Let me tell you why that's so important. Uh, We have these incredible times with our elders where we all gather as elders and spend time praying over the prayer requests that you guys write on these cards, and so it's really important to us. In addition to that, it helps us get you connected to different areas of the church, and we would love for you to do that. And then just to have your information, we take seriously what the Bible calls us to do in shepherding people, and so to have your information, to, to meet your needs, to keep you connected. At the end of our service, we've got a offering tray that gets passed around, and you can just drop that card in there. So fill it out anytime during the rest of the service. It would really uh, benefit us greatly. Hey, uh, I also want to thank you. As you came onto our campus, we're under construction, and I wanted to thank you for your patience and give you a little bit of an update. We're in this initiative. It's called the REACH Initiative, and uh, our, the people in our church have con- uh, made a decision to financially sacrifice and give over and above their normal uh, giving to make a lot of what you see here possible and a lot of what you don't see just ministry-wise possible here at New Hope. And uh, we're, we've been under construction for a few months. It might feel like a lot longer because each week we come in, we're like, man, what's, ah, we're getting closer, but not quite there. And so I want to go ahead and throw this out there knowing that I might eat my words, uh, but I want to encourage you a little bit. I believe that next Sunday we're going to have restrooms in the lobby, okay? <laughs> I really do, all right? So you're going to be able to go to the restroom out here in the lobby. Uh, we're very close to that being done. And the reason the front lobby is not finished yet is uh, kind of out of our control. There's a the new slab of concrete that has to have a moisture level low enough to lay flooring. And the moisture level's not there yet. And so we're running dehumidifiers. We're working hard to be patient and, and kind of wait to see when that happens. But we're getting close, guys. And so I just want to thank you for your patience and thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your generosity. God is making a difference already in people's lives and will continue to do so uh, as we pursue this REACH initiative. I want to pray for us, and we're going to continue on in this series. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for the incredible opportunity we have to gather here together, knowing that this is the gathering and ministry will take place in the scattering as we leave this place. Speak to us today, Father. Our hearts are open. We're prepared to hear from you that we might leave here different than when we arrived. And we pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're here for the first time, we're in week three of a sermon series that we're calling The Bigger Picture. And this sermon series is uh, over our mission, vision, and values. And the idea comes from a phrase. uh, The theme of the series comes from a phrase that was mentioned to me over and over again in grad school uh, by a professor who was very dear to me. He said, hey, don't get caught in the trees and miss the forest here. Uh, Make sure that in the midst of everything that you're doing, that you take a step back and make sure that you see the bigger picture. And what we've learned here is that that can happen a lot in our individual lives, and even as a church, we can get caught up in some of the details of life, the daily grind, and we fail to see the bigger picture of what God's doing. And so this mission and the values that we have are intended to help us make sure that we continually see the bigger picture of what God's doing here in this community and around the world through the ministry of New Hope Christian Church. And so we started out, we talked about the mission that God has called us to, and we went to 2 Corinthians 5. We learned that God has called us to be ambassadors, to be disciples who make disciples. 
to live intentionally. That the church is not so much only about the gathering, that ministry and church cannot be about a seat for an hour on a Sunday watching a stage. That it's bigger than that, and it's extremely important that we view this as a gathering, but that the scattering, when we leave this place to live intentionally, is important. That's our mission. And we begin to live that mission out with these core values, and the first one was last week, and it was biblical authority. And we as a church, and we challenge you as individual followers of Jesus to submit yourself to the authority of Scripture. The biblical authority is our most important value, and we want to do what the Bible teaches and follow what the Bible teaches. And so today we're going to continue that series and look at a, our next value, and this value is excellence. And this was a really hard sermon to write because it's hard to preach on excellence, and yet the Bible teaches clearly that excellence is important to God for a variety of reasons. But it's hard to preach on it because I believe that if we take what we're going to look at today individually, this should be a core value for you as an individual follower of Jesus, that chasing after, pursuing excellence is so important for you. And then together as a church, it becomes extremely important for us to pursue excellence. And we're going to talk about why and how we do that here in a moment. But I want to start with this danger that we can have. There's a danger when you start talking about excellence. And the danger is found in a lot of our personality types. Uh, show of hands, how many of you would say that you are a type A personality? You like things organized. You like to make sure things are in line. How many of you are like even color coordinated? Don't lie, own it. Get the, how many of you have multiple highlighter colors? Okay, now how many of you are married to them? <laughs> All right, yeah, you're like, I'm married to that person. Right? But type A people, people that like things organized and, and they're driven and they want to pursue things. You go into my office, it's going to be nice and clean. I like things to be organized. But here's what's happened to me over and over again in my life. The actual pursuit of excellence becomes my God. I mean, I find myself wanting to do things so well that it controls me. I get caught in the trees of excellence, and I miss the forest of why excellence might be important in our lives. And it becomes more important to me than it should. And that's happened to me on numerous occasions in my life. D.A. Carson is a New Testament scholar, and he has this lengthy quote I'm going to put on the screen here in a moment. And he describes beautifully what the risk is, what the danger is in our pursuit of excellence if we're not careful. And here's what he says. Some of us pursue what is excellent, even in the spiritual arena, simply because we find it hard to do anything else. Our perfectionist natures are upset when there is inferior discipline, inferior preaching, inferior witness, inferior praying, inferior teaching. If we're not careful in our pursuit of excellence, our own service will become a source of secret pride precisely because it is more competent than much of what we see around us. And sadly, much of this ostensible concern for quality may be nothing more than self-worship, the ugliest idolatry of them all. The ultimate test is the test of our motives. So he says, when it comes to pursuing excellence, before you get into why you do it and how you do it, you've got to check your heart. Are you, doing, are you going to pursue this for self-gratification? Because you can't stand to see anything go except the way that you think it should go. That's danger. And so it's important for us, instead of talking about how we want to pursue excellence, to start with the why. Because the why can guard our motives. And so as we begin to think about pursuing excellence in our individual lives and as a church going into our future, letting this be a core value, I want to start with the why. And I would word it this way. Why we pursue excellence is this. We pursue excellence in all that we do because we are following God's lead. He went first. Everything he's ever done is excellent. And so our motivation in pursuing excellence is honestly to honor God. That's why we want to pursue excellence. Okay, we want to pursue excellence because 
God originated excellence. God did everything first. God made things excellent. In fact, one author, one preacher said it this way. He said, it could be argued that the very first thing God did in time was to create an appealing, or I'll say excellent, environment for his ta- tailored for his prized creation. That portion of creation that would be fashioned in his image, the image of the one who created an irresistible or excellent environment. Essentially, that's the story of creation. In the beginning, the earth was like an un- unpainted, poorly lit room with all of the furniture and boxes in the hallway waiting to be assembled and properly arranged. So God started arranging the furniture. He went first and said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. He started improving things. Light was better than darkness. He didn't put Adam and Eve in a formless, empty, chaotic, dark room. He created an appealing or excellent environment, and then he placed them in it. It's interesting to think about, and this is a little cheesy, but God was the original interior designer. So Chip and Joanna, take a seat, because God came first. And so excellence is what God is in the business of doing. You see, everything God has ever done has been done really, really well. And so when he created, he created this incredible garden, and he created it excellent, he created it good, and then he placed man, who he also created good, in this garden. And what I find fascinating is what he says about man when he places man in the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Here's why that's fascinating. Because Genesis 2 happens before Genesis 3. You see, Genesis 3 tells us about the fall, when sin enters the picture and corrupts and disrupts everything. And yet work was a part of the picture before the fall. God placed man in the garden and said, you're a gardener. You've got work to do. Imagine the work that he had to do. He had to name all of the plants and the trees, and and he named all the animals. Imagine what that would have been like as as all these animals are paraded in front of him, this giant animal that's huge and strong and has this big trunk, and he's thinking, and he's wondering. He's like, elephant, that's it. Got it. This other one comes, and he's hairy and giant and strong and has these big claws and these sharp teeth, and he looks at it. He's like, "Ah, I'm going to go with bear. Bear. All right, next and next and next, and he names all of these animals, and then there's this small little animal that comes by him, and it, it has these little tiny claws and these teeth and this tail and these whiskers on its face, and he's getting ready to answer it or to name it when God interrupts him and says, whoa, I didn't create that. I'm just kidding. Sorry. No emails. God just doesn't like cats. Um, Think about the work that he would have done in this garden. God said, you're not just created to sit. You're not not a park ranger. You don't just walk around and make sure everything's okay. And you're not a tour guide. You don't just wait for people to come and walk them around the garden. He says, no, you're going to be a gardener. You're going to work the ground, and it's going to produce good. You're going to be a co-creator. Though I created, I want you to be a co-creator. As a matter of fact, if you'll notice in that passage in the Genesis account, the creation account, each time God creates something, he calls it something. When God created light, he saw the light and said that it was... Thank you. (laughs) Just waiting for you. First and second service got you beat. Uh, God made the land. He made the heavens and and, and the sky. And when he was done creating, he looked at it and he said that it was... But notice this. Good is not perfect. God didn't create it and say it's perfect. God said it was good. Because if it was perfect, it cannot be improved upon. It can't be added to. So God created everything in a very good state. And then he put man in the, in the garden. And he said, you get to contribute to this. It's not perfect. You get to contribute to it. And the reason it's not perfect is because God wants to work through us to contribute. 
And so now man gets to partner with God. You remember the first part of this sermon series, we looked at the mission that we're on, and we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it said that God is in the business of making us ambassadors, that once you are a new creation, God wants to come and work through you. It's as if, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that God is appealing to the entire world through you and through the partnership that he has with you in creating over and over again. He wants to partner with man in creating beautiful, incredible things. And so as we pursue excellence, we do it because God went first. God created things with excellence. God is excellent. And here's the thing. This is the danger and the beauty of it. The danger is if we want to just pursue excellence because we somehow feel like what we do gives us value. I mean, you're conditioned this way in every other arena of your life. Think about this. When you meet somebody new for the first time, first thing you do is you introduce yourself. You say your name. And what's the first question that comes to mind after that? What do you do? Because somehow we're conditioned to think that what we do is what gives us value. And yet we learn here, no, that's not true. We don't pursue excellence because somehow we have to earn our value or our worth. We pursue excellence because of the value and the worth that was bestowed upon us by God. And in the most excellent way, the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus comes and he lives this incredible, sinless life. The life we couldn't live because sin had corrupted us. Jesus comes and lives the most excellent life that has ever been lived. And he lives this life and then he dies the death that we deserve to die for our lack of excellence. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. We might become excellent. But we don't pursue excellence to gain our value. We pursue excellence because of the value that God gave us through Jesus. This is important. And I don't want you to lose this because this was the fear in writing this sermon. This is a really hard sermon to write because I'm, I'm worried about talking about excellence in front of a group of people. That's difficult. And yet, what I've come to learn is that over and over and over again in my life, I would find myself doing things because I thought that those things were going to make me feel better that they'd make me feel more valuable, more worthy. And that's the wrong motivation. You see, the Bible tells us here that you don't pursue excellence because somehow if you, main, if you achieve excellence, God will look at you with more favor than he looks upon you because of the cross. That just can't happen. God loves you completely and fully because of Jesus. And so because of that, you can pursue excellence. And so the why is because he was excellent first, both in creation both in creating us and the partnership he created with us, and ultimately his excellence is displayed in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the most excellent life ever lived. So that's our why, but what about the what? So I get it, Rob. I understand like, why I should pursue excellence, because he was so good to me, and so the only choice I have is to respond to that excellence by pursuing excellence, not to earn his favor, but in response to the favor he's shown me in Jesus. And so I try to do everything I can with excellence. I want every single thing to be excellent because of Jesus, right? So that's our why. But what about the what? How do we go about doing this? And I would say it's pretty simple. In fact, it's so simple, I was worried it would just be lost on you and you wouldn't care about hearing it. And so I'm just going to be really honest with you. It's a little nerve-wracking to say it's this simple, but there's a little bit to it. And so here's how I would word it. Everything that we do matters now when the motive is correct, when the why is in place. Everything matters and should be done with excellence because it's for him, not for us, not to earn something we don't have yet. 
All we do is an act of worship. And so the what is, every single thing that you do is worship. Everything. Every conversation you have, every task, no matter how seemingly insignificant or incredibly important, and everything that you engage in in between those two things, seemingly insignificant, incredibly important, everything in between is worship. It is a display of your view and intimate connection with your Heavenly Father. Everything you do reflects the connection you have to Him. Everything. That's why I love the passage we're going to go to in Colossians, because Paul writes to this city. This is such a cool city. At one point, Colossae, the city, was strategically located between two highways, one going east to west, one going north to south, and so a lot of transit, lots and lots of people. It was an exciting city to stop in that created certain goods that benefited other regions. It was this happening, alive city. And then they moved the highway. And so people were driving past it. And it lost its significance really, really quick. Anybody ever seen the movie Cars? I've seen it 139,462 times, and I've purchased it more than once, all right? <laughs> in the movie Cars, there's this town that Lightning McQueen, the star character, stumbles upon called Radiator Springs. And Radiator Springs at one point was this alive, happening, fun town. And then they moved the highway. And after they moved the highway, it's a desert town. Deserted, seemingly insignificant, forgotten. That's Colossae. That's the town that we're talking about. Seemingly insignificant, seemingly forgotten. Here's why that's important for us to understand before we read the passage. When you feel like what you're participating in and what you're doing doesn't matter, it's really hard to stay motivated. When you feel like the effort that you're putting into is underappreciated, when you feel like what you're doing isn't a part of a bigger picture, when you fall into the trap of thinking that the work that you're doing is giving you significance instead of who you're doing it for, because everything around you kind of seems like it's dying, like it's dull, and so you begin to wonder, why does this matter? Why does the work I do in my office matter? Why does typing up these reports or serving these tables or tending to these children, why does this matter? Is it really a part of something bigger? You begin to lose hope. And once you lose hope, it's hard. It's hard to pursue excellence. And so the Christians in this town, surrounded by just a lack of life, really, begin to lose hope in that what they're doing actually matters. And so they stop pursuing excellence. You start cutting corners. You start trying to finish early. Your work no longer gives you any significance because it doesn't seem to matter. I've talked to many people who say, hey, Rob, I love what New Hope's doing discipleship-wise and the reproducible discipleship stuff, and I love the track that you're on as a church. But man, I'm older, I'm retired, I've already kind of had my younger, younger years are behind me now as if God is limited by their age but they don't feel like they can contribute much, and I, don't under, I just want to encourage them. Like it's, that's not the issue. The issue is we've got to see the bigger picture. Sometimes we get caught up in the trees of our circumstances, our situations, and our feelings, and we miss the bigger picture of what God really wants to do in that situation. And so Paul begins to remind these Christians why pursuing excellence is a core value, why it's important for these Christians to view the work that they do is extremely important, and I'd argue to say why you should view every single thing that you do as a follower of Jesus as something you should be doing with excellence as an act of worship for him. Let's see what Paul says. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 17. He says this, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so this is important. He says, motivation, let me just get this out of the way, Christians. He says, 
everything that you do. Now, if you take that word everything and you parse it out in Greek and you try to translate it, it means everything, everything, all of life, everything, word or deed, every word you speak, every act that you're a part of, every single thing that you do. He says, do it all in Jesus' name. Do it all for Jesus. Do it all through Jesus. Because when you do that, you are actually thanking God. You're giving thanks through Jesus to God the Father for sending Jesus to give you all of the worth that you need that your work will never give you. That your actions and your words will never satisfy what you think they'll satisfy like they will when you do it for Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. And so he continues on here in this passage, down at verse 22. He gives some instructions in verses 18 through 21, not just skipping over it. It's instructions for a Christian household. If you base it on chapter 3, verse 17, yes, you do all of these things through Jesus because in doing so, it thanks God the Father. He gets down to verse 22 and he says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. Don't fake it as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Check your heart. Make sure you're doing this. Fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartedly as, the Lord, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. So God shows no partiality here. He says everything that you do should be done as though it's being done for God. Everything. Now look, when you're sitting at home and, and you're a mom and you're home and your husband's at work and you're changing diapers and there's laundry and dishes and other kids and craziness and schedule and ah, do that. Change that diaper as though you're changing it for the Lord. I know that sounds weird, but he's saying everything, every facet of life. When you go to work and you have to clock in and clock out every single minute between clocking in and clocking out, do it as though you're doing it for the Lord. Because when we honor God in our pursuit of excellence, he will use that, multiply that to inspire other people accomplishing the mission. It's so important. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been around somebody who takes this seriously, who like really believes that no matter what circumstance they're in, what situation they find themselves in, that God wants to use them in that moment to pursue excellence for God's glory to honor him for all that he's already done in response to the goodness of God. They want to be excellent in everything that they do. There are two men in this church here at New Hope who have really inspired me by living this out, and they sometimes would do what the world might look at and say is a seemingly insignificant job, and yet God has used it to multiply the efforts of his mission because of their motivation in pursuing excellence. One is Red Harmon. Um, he's our facility manager here at New Hope, and uh, I call him Harold because I think it's funny and because it's his actual name. Though it would be funnier if it wasn't. Uh, it is funny. That's his actual I call him Harold, uh, and everybody around here knows him as Red. Red's the hardest working man I've ever known. He might as well have a cot in his office. The man practically lives here. And he does so much for this church. He goes above and beyond. He goes the extra mile. When you walk into this place and things are clean and put in order and, and the bathrooms are clean for you to come in and use the restrooms, uh, that's because Red, because he works extra hard, because he believes that doing things with excellence is actually a form of worship. He's actually worshiping God when he does what he And I've seen some pretty difficult situations that Red is in being a facility manager, and yet he's always got a smile on his face. He's always got words of encouragement to share with people. 
I mean, you think about this building project, and we come in and we go out week, week in and week out, and it's, it's cool and it's enjoyable. It's not always enjoyable for a facility manager. Having to be flexible and work with people and make sure, and yet always a smile on his face, always words of encouragement, because Red believes at the bottom of his heart that everything he's doing is worship. And you'll always get a word of encouragement, and you'll always get a smile from Red. The other guy that just inspires me was in first service, and it made it really hard <laughs> to say this, but... His name is Hal Rogers. And Hal is uh, just a good man. He loves Jesus. And Hal wakes up around 4 o'clock in the morning a lot of days during the week, and he goes to Lowe's and he unloads trucks. And he's battling cancer. And the cancer has created incredible, incredibly painful sores on his feet. The kind of pain that would cripple a lot of us that we take for granted that we don't have that pain when we walk around like, like Hal does. And yet, he gets up, and he goes to work. And every time you see him, he's telling you, man, I'm here. It's another day. God is good. I'm alive. It's another day. And he's battling something that a lot of us don't have to battle. And he's just got this incredible perspective. He's like, I'm going to keep working. He told me after first service, I'm going to work until I just absolutely can't work anymore. Because he wants to do everything he's a part of with excellence because it's an act of worship for him. I don't know if you've been around people like that, but it's inspiring. It makes me think everything I do has the potential to be exponentially multiplied by the working of God if I'll pursue it with excellence. C.S. Lewis once said this, how, are the, how is it that there are valleys undiscovered by human eyes that are still filled with beautiful flowers? For whom did God create that beauty if no human eyes would ever see it? Lewis answers that God does some things only for his own pleasure, even, he sees things even when no one else sees them. And Paul's reminding these Christians and essentially reminding us that Christians create beautiful things. We do beautiful work when we partner with God, even when it goes completely unnoticed by everybody else. You might say, Rob, I get that. I understand the how now. I understand it. But you understand my working condition, my environment, my boss. Yeah, he's so difficult to work for. And I don't get valued by him at all. I get devalued by him. And the circumstances are rough. And I don't get paid enough. And it's such a hard work environment. There's no benefits to it. It's just difficult. And I would say, I get it. And I know that's got to be so hard. And some days are a lot worse than others. But I would gently remind you what Paul says here is that you're not actually working for that boss. You have to see beyond that boss to, the, to, the, to the, the greater boss, the one who you can't look at and say he was selfish because every time you look at him, you see the cross. And you can't say that boss was rough and hard and not grace-oriented towards you. And so everything that you're doing, you're doing it for him. I'm just working for him, and it doesn't matter the circumstances as much because I'm working for the Lord. I would remind you that you're not working for that boss, and you're not really working for that salary. According to Colossians 3, you're working for a much bigger inheritance, to have a much bigger impact. And so the work that you do matters, not because of just the work you're producing, but because of the one that you're doing it for. You might say, but man, my boss just feels like he totally owns me, Rob. Feels like he's just totally in control. And I would say what feels like that to you was a reality for the Colossian Christians. Paul says bondservants. These were literally people in slavery. And he says in the midst of that difficulty, you can still have your work be a form of worship if you'll pursue excellence. If you will go after excellence and pursue it. So whether you eat or drink or mop floors, whether you write contracts or, 
or you answer phones or you serve tables. Paul says here that what should set Christians apart and all of that stuff and more is the, the fact that they're doing that work as a form of worship. And everything they do, everything they say and everything they do, they're worshiping God because they're doing it with excellence. So excellence is a form of worship for God. Everything we do, we say, this is a statement, God, telling you how worthy I think you are. That's why I'm going to do this job to the best of my ability. You see, the, the way in which you approach every single facet of your life is a reflection of the connection you have to your creator. Everything, every word you speak, every circumstance you find yourself in, how you respond in those circumstances are a direct reflection of the connection that you have to your creator. And whether or not you're going to worship is determined by what you do in those circumstances. Will your work and your circumstances be worship or not? Students, I'm going to even say it to you, if you're a high school student or a college student, every single part of your work, it's worship. I try to tell my son this, my oldest son, I try to tell him when he's got math homework, hey, you got to erase that and write it again. I want you to do that with some excellence. I say, hey, your work here, this is a form of worship. And he'll say, no, Dad, it's math. It's math. Look, it says math homework on the top. It's math. But the quality in which you do that work is a reflection of your connection to your creator. So do it with excellence because when you do things with excellence, you're worshiping. Because it's in response to the excellence displayed to you on the cross. Everything that we do is worship. Now, we have to understand that you're going to fail and you're going to mess up because we're sinful. Genesis 3 happened. The fall actually took place and as a result of that, the ground was no longer producing uh, the way that it was. It was toilsome. Work got difficult. Sin entered the picture, and it distorted and disrupted, disrupted everything. And in our lives, sin affects everything that we have relationally, and our work and all the things that we do are relational, and therefore it gets messy and it gets difficult. Thus, the need to see the bigger picture of the cross to keep our eyes focused on the cross so that in those times, in those moments, we're not relying on our own willpower and strength. We continue to pursue excellence. We pick ourselves back up under the umbrella of grace and we continue to pursue excellence as a form of worship. I love the way Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, uh, handled Psalm 147, verse 13. It's going to come up on the screen. It says this, For God strengthens the bars of your, get, of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. And then Luther goes on to say, how exactly does God do this? How does he do it? He says, well, God strengthens the bars of your city by quality city planners who pursue excellence, architects, politicians who pass good laws and protect the city, and the police who protect and serve the people. How does he bless our children within our midst through the work of teachers and ministers and school administrators and pediatricians? How does he fill us with the finest of wheat by farmers who do their job with excellence and do not cut any corners and factory workers and restaurant owners and servers who come to our table? And then he said this incredible quote. He said, our professions, and I would say every single thing that we do, are like masks that God uh, that, that we wear, that God wears in caring for the world. It's like God is wearing a mask and it's really him at work through us, which brings significance and meaning to every single thing that you do. You see, friends, when you view every detail of your life as an act of worship and you try to do it with excellence, God will multiply that over and over and over again more than you'll ever dream or imagine. It's as if he's wearing a mask through your profession, through your work, through your deeds, through your words, and he's loving the world through you just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. 
So if I had to sum it up, I'd sum it up like Luther who said, hey, when God, in the Lord's prayer, when he tells us, give us this day our daily bread, how does God answer that prayer? Well, he does it. He gives us our daily bread by the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour and the bread, and the person who prepared our meal. All of these things are at play when God provides and answers those prayers that we pray. Lord, please provide for me. So many different factors come into play for God to answer that prayer. And I would say, what about that part of the prayer where God says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that prayer, God, I want your will and I want your kingdom to come. How does God answer that prayer? It's you who... It's me, it's you, it's the church, not the building, but the people. When they scatter and they go and they live on mission and everything that they do, they do it with excellence so that they stand apart from the rest of the world and the rest of the world has to say, why are you doing this? And we begin to say, because of the God of excellence who came before me, who put it all out there for me on the cross when Jesus died for me and he resurrected. And because of that, I respond to that incredible truth. I respond to it. I'm not trying to earn it. I'm just responding to it by making sure that everything I do is done with excellence. Everything. I'd say it this way, for you to think about it this way. Do whatever you do well for God's glory. And do whatever you do intentionally for God's mission. Do whatever it is that you're doing. Do it well. As well as you can with excellence for His glory. And do it intentionally, on purpose, for His mission. How does that look for us as a church? That means that Here on this campus, we're going to begin pursuing excellence with everything we've got because it's a form of worship. And so we're going to have to say no to certain things that some people might want to say yes to, but we're going to have to say no because we want to do it with excellence. We want to make sure we can do it with excellence. We'll say yes to other things. Some things will change. Some things won't change. The heartbeat of it all is we just want to worship him, and through worship him, we want to do things with excellence. And our ministry programming and our understanding of how we want to do ministry as a church, it's geared around discipleship. We believe that's the route that God has placed in our hearts to go, and so you'll see we do discipleship groups off campus because we believe if discipleship groups are pursuing excellence, they're reaching people, and that happens best when we scatter, not when we gather. And so people come to gather, get equipped, refreshed, reminded, and we go and we reach people and we love people and we pursue people. That's going to happen in our campus, in our ministry, and in our future. When we begin to think when the REACH initiative ends and what's coming next and what best serves this community and these people, we're going to want to say, what do we want to do with excellence in response to the God of excellence who has blessed us? What do we want to do with excellence and how do we pursue this intentionally? See, what about you in your personal life? I mean, when you walk out of here, what, what does it look like for you to pursue excellence? Maybe if you're a teacher... It means tomorrow morning you walk into the class like you've never walked into that class before with those snot-nosed, complaining kids and their whining parents, and you love them like you've never loved them before, and you teach them like you've never taught them before, because it's an act of worship this time, that by the way I'm engaging with you, I'm worshiping. Maybe maybe you're a landscaper, and so you're going to go, and you're going to cut lawns, and you're going to make sure those lines are so straight, and that house looks so good that the owner wants to take pictures and post it on Instagram. Why? Because you're worshiping with your landscaping. You're not just cutting grass. Maybe you're a barista and it means you're going to make incredible lattes and coffee and you're going to deal with those whining customers who want the latte, mocha, skinny, upside down, take this out, add this drink. And you're going to say, I'll do it because I'm worshiping. I'm going to do it with excellence. Here you go. Please stop coming here and ordering, but here you go. (laughs) You're going to do the best job you can possibly do. I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I do know this. We're all called by God to do things with excellence. Why? Why? Because it's a response to how excellent he is. 
So we're going to do that as a church, and we're going to challenge you to do that as followers of Jesus. And we're going to challenge you to do it intentionally for his mission and his glory, because at the end of the day, that's all we want. That is all New Hope Christian Church wants, is to reach lost and hurting people for the glory of God. That's it. That's our heart. Listening to an interview this past week with a man that was kind of down and out for a large part of his life. He was addicted to uh, many drugs and had lost family and just just really made some really poor decisions, uh, heard the gospel, became a believer in Jesus, became a Christian, and uh, now he started this ministry where he has started these reproducible groups of Christians all over the world, over 300 of them because of his efforts. And in the interview, they're trying to talk to him, and it's kind of hard to get details because he just doesn't want attention. It's an easy interview, but difficult to get that info. And finally, he says, hey, let me ask you a question. He asked the interviewer a question. Do you know the difference between a rock star and a DJ? And the guy doing the interview is like, well, all right, have you lost it? Like what? He says, a rock star wants a stage to perform on. And a DJ just wants to help people dance. He says, I just want to be a DJ for Jesus. I don't want to do it well. I don't need the stage. As a church, we don't, we don't need to be well known. We don't need to be famous. We just want to be DJs for Jesus. We just, we just want to make our ministry equip and lead people to follow his mission and to do things with excellence. So why is excellence a core value for us as a church? Because excellence is a form of worship that God takes and multiplies all over the world. And that's where we're headed as a church, to pursue excellence. But my question for you is as a family, as a spouse, as a parent, as an employee, or as a boss, will you join us on that journey and will you pursue in all areas of your life excellence for God's glory and intentionally do that for his mission? Let's pray.